once again, fantastic to see you. Great to have you with us. If you can flash your lights, then you can flash them at the occasional amen if you wish. Uh, a confirmation, don't bib your horns. We're trying not to upset the neighbors too much. But light flashing will be permissible during the service. All right. So I um, want to thank the worship team. Thank those at set up communion that have helped with everything today. It was something a bit different, as you can tell. Putting a stage and a technical setup in a car park is not that straightforward, but it seems to have worked. We have to thank West Watford Free Church for their power. There was a massive extension lead running all the way into that building. That's how we're doing this. So thank you to them. Um, today is um, quite a raw preach in a way because I don't have the Prezi. I don't have a video, anything. All I've got is me and the Word of God to bring to you. So hopefully that's the most important thing anyway. There's quite a bit of scripture I'm going to be speaking from today, which is why we gave you that download. Uh, but obviously you can use your Bible too if you need to look things up. Um, the most important thing, regardless of the setup, regardless of the fact I'm standing here with Factor 30 on to try and stop burning, is that we're here to hear the Word of God and we want it to shape us. It needs to shape us. There's very little point in doing any of this unless when we hear the Word of God, it shapes us. And I include myself. I'm not here projecting something. Whenever I preach, most of my prep time, I've got my head bowed down thinking, Lord, I need your help in this too. So let me jump right in. Because right now, the world needs a fully functioning, fully functioning church. More than ever before, it needs to have a fully functioning church. This nation needs it. Our town needs it, and clearly the world needs it. So I'm going to look at what that means. I'm going to look at that internally and externally. I'm going to start externally, and then I'm going to talk about internally, what it means to be a, a fully functioning church. So I'm not preaching from the Psalms today. We've had a great series in the Psalms. I'm going to do something quite specific to this event for us today. When I look at the letters of Paul, and I look at John's, uh, John, uh, 1 John to 3 John, the letters from John, uh, probably John the Evangelist. There's much discussion about who wrote those, but probably John the Evangelist. When we look at those, you can see so much of it is speaking to how easy it is for a church to become dysfunctional. And in our situation, when we're separated, even greater risks of becoming dysfunctional. And it's just, there's many a stark warning. If you think of the letter to the Corinthians churches or Ephesians, or there's, there's, they're full of things. Watch out for this. Look out for that. Be careful of that because not, that's not how a functioning church, a functioning family should look to operate. And so we need to look into that. I hope today is an encouragement. It's not to make us feel that we're doing something wrong. It's mostly to encourage us. There is great plans for the church. The church is a beautiful thing. Now, in my line of work, if you don't know what I do, I, I used to at least travel internationally as a trainer. I used to train people all over the world, and I mean all over the world. I've been as far as Perth in Australia training uh, twice, so, so I, go, I used to go globally. I haven't traveled out of my chair in my hallway and my online environment since March. That's how long it's been. But what, a lot of the things I train about is about how to solve problems. And one of the things we teach quite a lot in my line of work is this thing called divergent and convergent thinking, which is if you start with a problem statement, someone says this is wrong, that's too narrow, and you have to diverge. You have to open that up and explore it and, and understand what do we really mean, when did it happen, who did it happen to, those sorts of things. So we diverge. And then we have to, at some point, converge. We have to bring it back to a point where we know what we need to do with all of that. 
So I'm going to use that today, this idea of divergent and convergent, to look at similarly to what Tom spoke on when he uh, gave the word uh, on Friday, the encouragement to us, that you can look at scripture and two very similar looking scriptures but one that goes in a very different direction from the other. One is divergent and one is convergent. One opens everything up and one tries to narrow everything down, but they look the same in principle. They both relate to love and they both relate to the role of the church, but as I said, externally and internally. The other thing to know about both of the scriptures I'm going to look at is love is a commandment. A commandment. Now, I don't know how you feel about that, because we don't really, in this culture today, like the God who tells us what to do. We like the optional version, which means we can just evaluate his inputs, compare them, decide what we want to do with them. When it comes to love, as you'll see and you probably know, there are certain scriptures that say it is a commandment to love people and to love one another. That means, unfortunately, if we say we follow God and we are Christian, and we are people who love God, then we should do what he says. One of the greatest realizations in my whole Christian walk has been this. I called him Lord and Savior. I called him Lord. A Lord is someone who has authority over my life, which means I must look at what he says. It's not optional. The things he commands me to do are not choices. So when it comes to love, that is simply not the case. So we're going to start with love is divergent, and um, if you want to open up on your piece of paper or click on your device or whatever and get yourself into Matthew 22, 36 to 40, I'm going to read you a familiar scripture. Matthew is great because it's full of Jesus, what Jesus said, which is some of the best stuff we can ever look for. So let me read that scripture to you. So once again, it's the one that says Matthew 22, 36 to 40. In fact, I'm starting at 35. And one of them, a lawyer, this is a Pharisee who's asking Jesus a question, a Pharisee lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, this is Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depends all the law of the prophets. So this is a Pharisee lawyer asking Jesus a question to try and catch him out. And he says the commandment is this, love the Lord your God. And then he gives this very universal response, this huge response, love your neighbor as yourself. That simple question, if you think about it, he opens up to a massively divergent answer. You want to know what? I'll open it up. You need to love in a universal way. Firstly, you start by loving God with everything you have, everything we have. We love him with our heart, our soul, and our mind, everything we have. We love God because he's the creator God who created this very nice breeze right now created everything. Think of your favorite food. Just think of it for a moment. Think of it. Kids, think of your favorite dessert or your favorite sweet thing, if you like. Think of your favorite food. Think about how it tastes when you eat it. 
Think about what it tastes like when you eat it, that, that flavor that you like so much that you're even getting hungry looking forward to it now, thinking, hurry up, preacher, lunch is on. You know, you're thinking about that food and you're tasting it in your mouth and it's joyful. That's just a snippet of the creativity of a God that puts those sorts of pleasures into our lives. He creates things that we can enjoy. He's an awesome God. Everything that is good comes from him. We enjoy things because he is great. Look at these trees, every one of them unique, all doing a function right now. Look at the, the sky. Look at the clouds that are currently drifting away, so I'm getting sunburned. Look around you. The God that created all of that, you are to love him with all your heart because he loves you. We should be blown away, awestruck by this God that we follow. Because if we're not awestruck, if we're not taken aback, then the Bible doesn't have any authority for us. We, we treat it with, like he's, he's a good guy, good kind of, but we, we lower its authority. And the Bible is about that God. Without that all-consuming adoration and awe, the Bible can become dry and full of rules that we may or may not follow. Everything that comes after that, if that's your heart, will become optional. Suggestions or scripture that you can twist into your, to win an argument rather than it having authority over our lives. So loving God first is where we start. And then, loving God first, the second commandment is like it, not optional either. Love God and love our neighbors as ourselves. All right, Greg? <laughs> All right, so love our neighbor as ourselves. Now, there's many accounts of this uh, discussion between the Pharisee lawyer and Jesus. There's three versions, and, and some people are not sure if it's two instances. One, some get conflated, but in one version, which is a version in Luke, there is a follow-on question, a follow-on discussion that comes next. It's the story of the Good Samaritan. We, we probably know it well. Luke 10, 29 to 37. The story of the Good Samaritan is a beaten up man who's robbed on a street, on a, street, on a road, is by the roadside, covered in blood, beaten up, and a Levite and a priest walk past and go round the other side of the road to him. You may say, oh, that's terrible, I would never do that. Okay, maybe. I'm not convinced. If I saw someone who looked like they'd been in a fight, what would I do? I probably would call someone. I probably would call someone. I might go over and ask you, you're all right, can I call someone for you? They, they say of that scripture, he uses that scripture to explain to the Pharisee when he says, who is my neighbor? He tells the story of the Good Samaritan. He speaks about the two that ignore him and the one that does something about it. And Jesus asked the Pharisee lawyer, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And the lawyer said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, you go and do likewise. Your neighbor is regardless of where they come, you will not know anything about them necessarily. There is someone in need. So we're now even more diverse. Anyone in need from a question of, you know, what is the first commandment or the greatest commandment? We end up with this love anyone, look after anyone in any kind of need. And I want to point something out that's often missed from the story of the Good Samaritan. He did it all. The Good Samaritan took full care of the man. 
He didn't say, I'll phone, so I know, obviously, all right, I know, no phones, but I'll phone someone for you. If you've got someone I can go and get for you, he attends to his immediate needs and he's long, he gets him to a place, he puts him on his uh, horse or whatever it was, I can't remember the story, but he gets him to a place where he can be looked after and offers to pay for his care. He does it all. He takes care of everything. There was no committee, no weighing up, no going, how did you end up like this, mate? Are oh, you all right? Have you been drinking? What's going on? problems at home, none of that, just you are in need and I am going to help you. I think that's a challenge that can make us sometimes uncomfortable. We want to kind of offload sometimes the care of people to others. The story of the Good Samaritan says, as followers of Christ, that we have been loved in such a way that we should love his created people, then we need to step in perhaps more. I need to step in perhaps more than I do. Don't ask too many questions about how someone got in the position they're in. Offer to help. Sometimes that help may well be rejected and thrown back in your face. Has been in my life of pastoring, often thrown back in my face. But in many ways, that's not the problem. I just need to do what I'm commanded to do, which is to love people in need. Loving people is a universal call. Not exclusive to the church, but a universal call that if you want to follow God's commandments, first, love God. If you think of the Ten Commandments, it starts with, you shall love no foreign gods, you will not love other gods but me. Love God first, and then love your neighbor. That's a call for us, as non-optional call for us, as a church and as individuals, not optional, which is tough to hear, but it is the truth of it, not optional. We need to be individuals and collectively a house of love and care because the world needs it so badly right now. And I think the realization, and perhaps you've tried not to listen too much to this, but it's a reality. It's going to get harder. With everything that's going on in, with COVID, our economy is going to struggle massively. Unemployment numbers will rise significantly. There will be a ton of need around us as a church. I don't want to say it's an opportunity. It sounds like we're being opportunistic. But it is something of a calling on us to say we need to be ready to continually love and continually serve. Now, that was the easy bit of the love story. This bit is going to get a little bit tougher. Um, we'll look at a scripture that looks similar, but it's very different. It's from 1 John 3. I actually preached on this verse at the Cairo Church about three weeks ago. So if you're tuning in from Cairo, hello. Um, and you're going to hear a chunk of what I spoke to you about. This is love is convergent. This is saying of a different conversation, narrowing it down. Narrowing it down to something. So in 1 John 3, 11 to 24. And let me say a few things before I even read this scripture to you. Um, 1 John is generally considered to be written by John the Evangelist, not John the Apostle. Whatever the case, he was quite old at this point. Um, and the letters are likely to be to the Ephesian church because that's where they were written. So you know about the, the Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Well, 30 odd years later are these letters, which are probably to the Ephesian church as well. I'll come back to that. So let me just change the subject for a couple of minutes. Most of you know my obsession with music. Most of you know I used to be a DJ. Most of you know I used to be a musician. Uh, and the type of music I was doing uh, was what they call EDM. If you don't know what EDM is, it's electronic dance music. It's the stuff with drum machines and synthesizers, which makes people like John Mansmith cringe. Because the beauty of the guitar, and there's me. But that's what I used to do. I was into it, I used to do it. I don't know if you know this, and perhaps um, it would be a quiz question, but there's one particular song that is accredited being the first ever EDM song. The one that kind of launched the genre. 
Now, I'm not going to ask you to shout out that because that would break the rules, but I'm sure Pete Kemp knows. But I'm not going to ask you to shout it out. It was I Feel Love by Donna Summer. Remember that one? Just synth and drum and synth and drum. And, and Donna Summer basically saying this. Ooh, ooh, ooh. I feel love. I feel love. I feel love. I feel love. Ooh, ooh. I feel love. 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 Ooh, ooh. You and me. You and me. You and me. Ooh, ooh. I feel love. I'm in love. I'm in love. I'm in love. If you look at the lyrics of the song, it's hilarious. There's about 15 words in the entire song just looping forever because she was just sort of adding to this synthy thing going on. One of my favorite songs, when I first heard it, it was like, that's amazing. And that got me into the music, which I eventually done. I did. But what's the message of Donna Summer's song? She feels love. No confusion. What that means is up to Donna Summer, but she feels love. Love is important to her, and that's good. The ancient theologian Jerome said, as rumored to have said, of John in his later years, John got stuck in a loop. All he kept saying over and over again in all his sermons was little children that love one another. There are stories of him being told, are you losing it? Because you keep bringing the same sermon every week. The PowerPoint is the same one as last week. The tech guys are wondering if you're just going to use the same one. Analogies, I know, weird stories. But you know what I mean. He was just repeating himself, repeating himself. And that little children love one another was his constant mantra in his later years. And he's rumored to have responded to that accusation of saying, why are you saying the same thing every single sermon? He was rumored to have said this. That is what the Lord commanded. That is what the Lord commanded. And if that one thing be obeyed, it shall be enough. Or strip back, often people say, until we get this one right, I will not cease. So John was repeating over and over again, little children love one another. But who does he mean? General opinion, and I agree, is that he means within the church. Within the church, little children, most importantly, love one another. Remember, he's speaking to a church. He speaks much in John about false teaching, false ways, going off in the wrong direction. And remember again, 30 years after the letter to the Ephesians, which gave clear instruction, we are back again. He's repeating a lot of the stuff that he is concerned about. But let me read it to you. I'll read 1 John 3, 11 to 24. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. So before I read on, remember, to a church, reminding them of the basics, that it's not an outcome of the Christian walk, but it is a command for the Christian walk. It's a foundational start. He knows they know. He's reminding them, you knew this from the beginning, that you should love one another. The word says in the much-used scripture at a wedding, the, the one we all know really well, which is the, you know, love verse, the Corinthians verses about love is and there's this line that says without love you are a resounding gong or a clanging symbol I'm not sure if it's clanging gong resounding symbol it doesn't matter without love you're just noisy you ha- it even says later in the scripture without love you are nothing that is a that is a, a statement and a half I think that that scripture is often read at weddings you're thinking that's that's some heavy stuff in there you know without love you're just noisy without love you're actually of no consequence 
So in the journey of a Christian, when is it okay to be a clanging gong? At what point could you be a clanging gong? At no point. The moment you begin that walk, you're called to stop making noise, but to love one another. It should be that as we come to Christ, as we come to God, the clanging stops. And if we see it coming back, we need to deal with that. Let me read on, verse 12. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. So to a church, don't be like a murdering Cain. And why did he murder him? Because of his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Let me jump to verse 15. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Oh, ouch. Pretty hard stuff. Inside the church, do not be like Cain. Now, I hope that you don't see that sort of murdering people as a resolution to arguments. I hope we understand the story of Cain and Abel is that Cain becomes jealous of Abel. Abel's offerings to God were worthy. Cain's were not. There was no doubt other things going on between them and eventually he murders his brother. Hopefully you know that story. So I'm not reading here we should, if we're going to compare ourselves to a murderer then we're all pretty safe, huh? That's hopefully going to get a flashing light somewhere, that we're okay with that, yeah? That we're okay. Good, thank you very much. Just to confirm that we're not going to de deal with our issues. We shouldn't be comparing to the murdering side of Cain. But for me, it's about Cain's unchecked negativity towards his brother, not reigning in as his anger and his jealousy and his rage starts to rise. So a seed becomes something more significant and he takes action on it. The scripture is not massively detailed. But we can imagine the story, if he's saying, do not be like Cain, Cain let anger grow within him to a point. So a seed becomes anger. That becomes hate. And it's a hard line warning of not letting roots grow within the church. The same principle we see in Hebrews 12, 15. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble and by it many are defiled. Haven't got time to go into it today particularly, but have you noted there that roots of bitterness is in quotation marks? I can't find it anywhere else in Scripture, which means he must have been referring to something that had happened. That root of bitterness, air quotes, is back. Don't let the root of bitterness, a known thing, come back. So I want to close with what I opened up with shortly. I want to look at a few things together. If I get my pages right here. The wind has blown one out. Sorry, just let me find the right one. And if not, I'll go without it. Okay. Scripture says this to us. Whoops. <laughs> there goes the next page. You mind, Lewis? Um, scripture says this to us. Do not let that root of bitterness grow. What does that root of bitterness mean? Thank you. Cheers, thanks. Try and hold this down. Didn't expect the breeze. A root of bitterness is when we allow something that's caused frustration to go unchecked for such a period of time that it becomes a dispute between the two of us. It grows and it grows in us as a people. And eventually that grows into a, a fractured relationship. 
And we are commanded in the Scripture to not let that happen. It is a commandment of the Scripture. And let me come to the convergent point. If you look into that Scripture, you'll see... I can't give you the Scripture reference because the piece of paper is missing. But let me just tell you what's there. It says this. And this is His commandment. That we believe in the name of the Son, Jesus Christ... And love one another just as he has commanded us. Now, I want to point something out there that's important to me, I think, when I read this. This is his commandment, God's commandment, a singular commandment, one commandment, not two. Remember in Matthew, he's asked and he splits it. And he says, first, love the Lord your God. The second one is like it, love your neighbor. And all the others lay off the back of that one. When asked in this situation and discussing it in this situation, John says something quite different. He says, this is a singular commandment. One. The commandment is, believe in the name of your Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe in the name and love one another as he has commanded us. He didn't split them. The point of this is saying that if we are the followers of Christ, inside the church family, we are to love one another inseparably. That means that we need to deal with things that cause us difficulty amongst the church. If we end up in a scenario where something is said and we find it uncomfortable, we can't just ignore it and push it away. We need to deal with it and not let a root of bitterness grow in us, whatever that may mean. That may mean having a difficult conversation. That may, may, may mean just dealing with it yourself. But to carry something on is what he means when he says, don't be like Cain. Cain let a root of bitterness grow and it ended up in tragic circumstances. We are not allowed to do the same. The next line after that in 1 John says this, whoever keeps his commandments abides in God. So that's the point, that now the commandments are open again. But first of all, they need to, you need to get this one singular commandment right. So unlike Matthew, when he separates, in this situation, he converges. God loves the church so much. I have my son. He sat in the car over there. I'm going to embarrass him. It's been a long time since I've had the chance to embarrass my son in public. My son Joel is sat in that car. Who do I want for my son's bride? Okay-ish, nice-ish. No, for my son Joel, I want him to find someone like my wife, <laughs> who to me is just wonderful. Someone who is someone who's a soulmate, someone who's so precious to me. I want him to find someone like that. I want the best possible wife for my son because I adore my son. I love my son. I want the best bride for him. The church is the bride of Christ. So the father wants the best possible bride for his son too. And that means making sure that we come before him. Now we are set free from sin. We are spotless in many regards. But as the bride of his son, if that bride is not working well inside itself. It's having difficulties. It's not good to honor God in that way. So I want to have a bride that God looks upon right now and says, wow, I want that to marry my son. Because of the way that you're dealing with issues, the way that you're pursuing God, the way that you're trying to make sure that there is no dissension amongst you, it's encouraging to be that. 
because God says, I love the church so much that he gave his son for it and his son died for it. Ephesians 5 said, says he gave himself up for it. Let me kind of draw to a close there. But I want to close in something really encouraging. Let's firstly be a divergent people. A people that look outside of the church to see who we can love and support because we are commanded to do so. And when Jesus was quizzed about it, when they tried to trick him and catch him out, he said, listen, number one, top priority, love God. Number two, just like it, love everyone who is in need around you, regardless of their circumstances, regardless of where they come from, regardless of their race, their beliefs. If they're in need, you step in. Those are the commandments as I see them. And everything else just hangs off the back of that. Let's do that, especially in this season. Let's do that. And then in John, we're told, make sure inside the church you dwell in unity together. Amen. How sweet, how beautiful, how wonderful it is when the church, when the brothers and sisters dwell in unity, that's in the Psalms. So we want to be a convergent people. So in a minute, I'm going to offer some of the chance here to pray for us as a church. Maybe Vivian will. Will you pray for us, Vivian, if I bring a microphone over? Yes, of course she will. Good. I did give her a little bit of a heads up. I was going to ask her. It's been sanitized, dipped in dettol. Um, but let me make an offer before we close. An offer for prayer. I have had moments in my life, I cannot deny it, when if this offer was made, I would have said yes. And I've been a Christian for many years. I've led for many years. I've been a church elder for several years. Where I know I have root of bitterness issues. I know, and it's not going away. It's, it's either sometimes I suppress it, but it's still there. And I've had to go back for prayer several times about certain situations where I'm thinking, that is a root of bitterness, Andy. That is a root of bitterness inside the church community. People I've met within the church community that I've had difficulties with and have not let that get sorted. And it was years ago, and I had to deal with it because I knew it was there. I tried myself several times to kind of dig it out. Come on. Come on, Andy, just get over it. And it wouldn't go because there would be a situation or a circumstance where it would just creep back. So I tried ignoring it, but it would creep back. And it was only really when I got ministered prayer by others, when I could tell them, listen, I need to tell you in all confidence, this is where I'm at with this situation. Even that alone seemed to start to expose the ground in which the roots were dug. And then with a prayer of another, they kind of helped me dig those roots out. If you look in your scriptures, the ones we supplied in Ephesians, it says about this is done by the power of the Spirit. Living in unity is a power of the Spirit. You can't just muscle your way through some of these things. When there is disunity in the church, read Ephesians. I gave it to you in the scriptures. He talks about live in unity through the power of the Spirit, which means that you need some help sometimes. I want to encourage you to type in the chat window, or either over now or when you get home, you can WhatsApp me or Ruth and Tom, and we will get someone to get in contact with you and pray with you over the next day. So if you want to type it in the chat window, if you're at home, you can do it now. But also, if you want prayer, contact myself or Tom and Ruth CB. They will coordinate the prayer team, and they'll get someone to pray with you. If you know that's something that causes you a challenge. So please do that now if you're online, or you can do it through WhatsApp later. Okay. 
let me just find the last page. It all got blown around a little bit. <laughs> okay, so let me ask, um, I'm gonna grab a sterilized microphone and I'm gonna run over to Vivian's car and I've asked her to pray for us. Then we're gonna have another time of worship. Even if during that time of worship you wanna contemplate what I've been saying. I want it to be an encouragement though. It's kind of a heavy message in some way, but I want it to be an encouragement because the church is a massive agent for change in the nation. As I've said all along, we need it right now more than ever before. The church needs to be externally looking and internally aware of what it is and what it's been called to be. Right. Thank you. I'm going over to Vivian's car. Those of you at home online are now just hearing a, a voice on an empty stage. But I'm going to ask Vivian to pray for us. I've been sanitized more time than a surgeon. So is this microphone. There you go. Morning, church family. Um, how wonderful, how marvelous is our Lord that He He gives us a word. He gives He brings a word that is relevant in 2020 that was written many years ago, but encompasses His heart for us. That He so loved us, and I pray that the words we've heard today will fall on good soil, and that nobody will feel condemned if they're struggling with anything um, that God will bless us that he'll bless his word within us that it will bring out the best in us that we will love unconditionally without bias without prejudice without an agenda that we will love selflessly that we will open our eyes around us to see where God needs us to act and just like you know, in the Bible it said, when you gave, people said, oh, you did it, Christ said, you did this unto me. And people said, when did I do that unto you? And he said, when you gave to the needy and when you responded to those who couldn't do for themselves. And I pray that we will be mirrors of Christ on earth to be a true reflection of who he is, his heart, his love, his kindness, his will. And that we will lean on him with grace and understanding of his essence in 2020 as we support one another, another to be the best version of what Christ intended us to be in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Vivian. Bless you.